Good afternoon, everybody. Hope you're doing well. It's Steph. It is the 27th of April, 2008. It is 6 p.m. Uh, it just took us a little while to get started, uh, but only about two hours. So we're set. And um, uh, thank you, everybody, so much for joining. Just a quick uh, few items of business before we get underway, which is that um, uh, the book, Everyday Anarchy, uh, second draft is finished. Christina and I actually... Uh, went to uh, a hotel and holed up, um, I guess Friday night, Saturday, and this morning, and uh, read through it, did the second round of edits, and I'm very pleased with it, uh, and uh, I hope that you will download a copy. Uh, I'm not going to charge for anything other than the print version, and it should be out. I should be able to do the audiobook Monday, maybe a little bit into Tuesday, and then uh, it should be out Wednesday. I hope that you will pick up a copy and ship a copy to other people that is really designed to uh, give you some better arguments or some different arguments or ways that uh, I'm really, really trying to work on self-contained arguments. That's uh, my new kick. And we'll have an example of this in a second when I'm going to chat with Chad about, uh, with Matt about gas prices. I'm really trying to work with self-contained arguments, arguments that we don't need to go off the reservation, so to speak, or out of the conversation and say, Ooh, I'll get back to you once I've looked that up and so on. I, I really, really want us to be able to stay within the conversation with people to accept their premises and then to work with the argument from there. And that's a real challenge, but I am really, really trying to get that underway so that we can actually finish an argument. Because don't you find that... Um, <laughs> don't you find that you get into these conversations? We've seen a lot of this stuff floating around the board lately. And it's been in my inbox as well where somebody will say, well, I'm having a discussion with people about anarchism. And then we run into, bam, this brick wall of, of necessary facts or required facts or I don't know this or I don't know that. Like, well, what about the Scandinavian company, countries? They're doing well. And, you know, well, were the robber baron prices declining at the end of the 19th century? And, you know, what was the original impetus and legislation for public schools? And, and it just grinds everything to a halt. And I'm really, really trying to uh, figure out how to uh, construct or create arguments for us that do not rely on uh, having to look up historical facts. Not because I dislike historical facts. It's just that if we can find a way to finish the argument without having to go back and look stuff up and get back to the person, then we will avoid the problem of the, road the roadblocks of facts. And uh, then, of course, uh, I have found over the course of, oh, so many years of working on this that when somebody throws a roadblock up called, I need historical facts, when you go uh, off like a dutiful little dasher to go and pick them up, you come back with them and you are simply told to go and get more. Uh, I have never once that I can remember had somebody who asks for a historical fact when I come back with said historical fact, have them go, you're right. Anarchism could work. The government is immoral. No, it's always like, well, what about this? And you run off and go and get those facts. Now, we've used the argument for morality, and I think that that's been very effective. But I'm trying to extend that so that we can analyze arguments from effect without reference to having to go look up historical facts, which, of course, themselves are always suspect. If you can create 
a self-contained argument based on the premises of your opponents that's always more powerful than you going to look up some some Thomas de Lorenzo book which says the robber barons were bringing the price down and they go up, look up uh, some socialist hacks book which says that they were going up. So uh, all of that kind of stuff is, um, is a real problem and I'm trying to work out ways that we can deal uh, with this kind of stuff and not have to uh, spend the rest of our lives going to libraries and not, in fact, uh, sorting up, uh, sorting out anything and actually getting uh, the conversation move forward. So it is, I guess, my impatience, if this makes any sense, it is my impatience with this aspect of the conversation that I want to um, bypass so we can get this conversation moving more rapidly. Um, for some reason, I think that I am relatively aware that uh, me gonna die and I'd really like to see a little bit more progress before I kick the big one. And for that, I think that we need to find ways of accelerating the conversation. And that's really what I am interested in. So uh, that having been said, I hope that you will pick up the, um, the book next week. Hand it out like candy. There is going to be a print version available next week. And um, you can pick that up as well. Um, I'm going to try and keep that as cheap as possible. Uh, I have recently reduced the price of the print copy of Untruth from 17 and change to 12 bucks and change. So I hope that you will pick up a copy or five of those and hand them out as well. And, um, and thanks again. I mean, I say this uh, all the time and I, uh, I, I really feel that I can't say it enough. But this is all due to the astounding, amazing, wonderful, beautiful, magical, paradisical generosity of the magnificent donators who are making all of this possible and have given me the financial means to advertise, uh, advertise to support myself uh, to, uh, uh, to, uh, to give out the books for free uh, and, and uh, spread the conversation as much as possible and uh, without, without you doing that, the books would not exist and the books would not be free. So I just, oh, I, I always get moved when I talk about this, but I, I, I can't thank you enough for the courage and dedication that you have to this conversation. And I hope, I hope, I hope that I am doing you proud with regards to the resources that you hand over in trust and, dare I say, belief uh, in, in what I can do to, to help move this forward or what we can do as a community to help to move this forward. So thank you again so much, so, so much. I live an incredibly privileged life of uh, truth and philosophy, and I hope that uh, you are getting your money's worth from what you have given. And if there's anything that I can do to give you more of your money's worth, uh, I would am absolutely a slave <laughs> to the donators. Whatever it is that you want, just let me know. Um, I'm more than happy to take suggestions uh, about any ways to improve things. And uh, thank you again for your support over this last year, because I guess we're getting fairly close to the anniversary of when I started doing this full-time, took the leap off the career bandwagon into the kaleidoscopic stratosphere that is <laughs> free domain radio, the high-octane, high-orbit of the planet, and um, uh, it has been a very exciting and wonderful year, and I will give you some highlights um, when the anniversary actually rolls around. So thank you again so much to everyone who has donated, to the people who uh, signed up this weekend for uh, a subscription Thank you again as well so much. That, that stuff is really helpful for me. I mean, it's 20 bucks a month, 
less than half the price of a cup of coffee a day, gives me some stable income to look forward to, which I can plan. The donations are great, but they tend to be uppy-downy. The stable income is fantastic. And um, I do send out, just for those who are interested, there are some specialized podcasts in the queue just for subscribers that won't be available anywhere else. So I hope that uh, that you will um, uh, feel free to, uh, to kick in that little bit of cash, uh, and it will be, um, I promise you, uh, something that would be very exciting for you to do, give you more confidence. You know, and this is this is kind of funny. Like, there's nothing that gives you more confidence in a debate than having some skin in the game, even if it's only 20 bucks a month, you know, it's, it's 75 cents a day or whatever, right? You can at least say, yeah, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm committed, so to speak, in a different way than I do. So, uh, anyway, thank you so much. And Matt, are you, uh, are you on the horn, on the line, man? Oh, I've put him to sleep. I knew I should have taken a breath during that last bit. Oh, many, 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 Okay, we'll come back to that later if he's not around. Is anybody else? Sorry, the person who was, maybe I got the name wrong. The person who I was going to do the debate about gas prices with Rich. Did I get the name totally wrong? I volunteered earlier, Steph. It's Rich. I don't know if Matt had oh, volunteered you, before me. With your four-letter names. Huh. All right. So <laughs> let's, uh, let's give that a shot, if you don't mind. Uh, we sort of put forward the following scenario that someone is uh, saying, of course, we have now a few new media scares to add to the inevitable panic, such as, Zed, oh my God, the prices of food are going to cause worldwide riots, we're all going to starve to death, and gas is going to be a kidney uh, and a hand job per gallon. So um, uh, I'd like to sort of uh, put forward a way of talking about these sorts of things with people that is not specifically anarchistic, but um, has at least something to do with an economic uh, understanding of these kinds of things. Now, when you talk about economics with people or economic approaches, you, um, you have to understand that these are all predicated on um, this being a free market situation, obviously, right? If it's not a free market situation, then it doesn't mean anything uh, in particular because it's just some government thing here, there, or everywhere. But if we assume that it's a free market situation and although um, uh, oil which, of course, uh, is uh, higher prices of oil or a lot to do with higher prices in gasoline. Oil is a cartel monopoly through OPEC, and it's heavily regulated and it's heavily taxed. It's still not a communist or socialist endeavor. There still are market forces that operate in the gasoline uh, trade or in the oil trade. So if some people get you know, all bitched up about high gas prices... There's a way that you can talk about it with people, which you know maybe there's a better way, but this would be one that uh, approach that I would take that can really help them understand what's going on. And in fact, they should be very happy about increased gas prices. Economics is all about the non-intuitive, right? But once you see it, it's obvious. But uh, so if somebody says, you know, gas prices are really negative or or really horrible, and and Rich, if you could play that guy. Uh, that would be great. And then I'll sort of step you through a couple of ways or a couple of questions that you can ask people to get them to understand economics a little better. So I'm, I'm, the, I'm the guy uh, complaining about the gas prices? Right, right. So okay. start off with your, oh my God, speech about the gas prices. Oh, 
gas prices are so high. I just filled up my tank and it was fifty dollars. I couldn't even. Uh, I, I it maxed out at fifty dollars and wouldn't even let me fill up my tank. Wow, that uh, I can understand that that must be uh, that must be pretty frustrating for you. Yeah. Now, I mean, I'm going to give you a perspective here that that might be kind of kind of interesting for you. Would it would it be at all interesting for you if I could help you to? To be grateful for higher gas prices. Grateful for gas prices. Grateful for high, not just grateful for gas prices. Grateful for higher gas prices. Uh, okay, lay it on me. Okay, well, um, why do you think gas prices are going up? And again, let's just assume it's a free market scenario for for the sake of this this argument. I'm gonna guess uh, inflation and taxes. Well, see, neither of those would be a free market scenario, although that is an absolutely oh, great oh, okay. guess. Let's pretend that it was a free market scenario. What is it that makes prices go up in a free market? Uh, de- demand? Yeah, it's either, it's either stable demand and reduced supply or similar or increased supply and even more increased demand, right? Right. So, obviously, um, it must be in places outside of North America where the demand is coming from, right? Because... It's not like we've suddenly doubled the amount of cars on the road, right? Right. So it must be some other countries, and it, it can't be like Europe, right? Because, I mean, Europe hasn't doubled the amount of cars on the road, right? Right. And Australia, can't be Australia. Uh, they don't actually have cars. They just ride kangaroos. So it <laughs> certainly can't be uh, Australia. And we could go through this, but basically it's demand from India uh, and from China that is driving up the price of gas, right? Oh, because they, their uh, vehicles are increasing? Well, it's not just their cars. It's not just their cars. It's um, basically they're going through a process of industrialization, right? Right, right. So what that means is that they have more cars on the road, but that's only a part of it. I mean, the demand is also being driven by industrialization, right? I mean... The demand is being driven by, instead of doing stuff by hand, they're ordering machines to do that stuff. And those machines need oil and they need gasoline and they need trucks to deliver the machines and, and so on. So their use of gasoline is increasing, right? Right. So obviously in China and in India, they believe that it's worth investing in all of this capital machinery and buying cars and this and that, which indicates that their standards of living are rising, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's no increased demand in, you know, I don't know, Zanzibar or wherever, wherever in some sort of hellhole in Africa because their standard of living isn't rising. So the fact that people can afford cars, the fact that people are willing to invest their capital into labor-saving machinery and, and so on, uh, it's an indication that their standard of living is rising and also that they expect to get a recoup on their investment, right? Mm-hmm. So if some guy has a factory and he deci- he's hired a thousand people and he's decided to invest $5 million in machinery and then he can cut his workforce down to like 500 people, let's say, or 200 people, then that would account for an increased uh, consumption uh, of oil but it would also be very good for their economy because it's freed hundreds of people up to produce other things which otherwise would not get produced, right? Yeah, yeah. 
Now, a lot of stuff that is produced in India and in China is sold in North America, right? Yeah. And so with the increased productivity that is occurring in India and China, what do you think is going to happen to the price of goods that are being sold out of India and China? Um, I assume they will go, the price will go down. Oh, you, there's no question. The price has to go down because if the price wasn't going down, if the price was not going to go down, then the price of oil right now would not be going up because they wouldn't be buying all this machinery, buying all these cars. And the cars primarily, during the beginning of an industrialization process, it's not like they're buying Rolls Royces for Sunday drives, right? What they're doing right. is they're buying cars to deliver their wheat to the city or to deliver their goods to the, the port, right? I mean, the, the, the cars that people buy to begin with is around, usually, almost always around the delivery of goods or services. It's not for recreation. Right. So it means that it's going to be uh, that, that they are definitely expecting to sell more at a cheaper price in the future, which is why they're willing to order all of these cars and machinery right now, right? Mm -hmm. And in fact, it shouldn't even take that long for the effects to start showing up because it's not like they have to invent the factories to create. They just order these things from European or other Asian or, or North American manufacturers, right? Yeah, yeah. So I can guarantee you, again, if it's a free market scenario, which is all we're really concerned about here, I can guarantee you that the money that you will save in buying goods now and in the future will be far greater than the money that you will spend in additional gas. Because well, I'm the just, people... I'm, Sorry, go I'm ahead. Just, I'm I'm disappointed. I wanted to put up a fight. <laughs> well, and do you know why you can be sure that you'll actually profit from increased gas prices? It's not neutral. Well, yeah, I'd be saving money on the on the other goods I'm buying that are being produced by other co countries. Well, sure, but you could you could make an argument that says, well, I'm spending a hundred bucks more on gas, but the prices of everything else I buy is only going down fifty bucks, right? If that's true, yeah. Well, sure, but we know we know for sure that if that actually occurs, then everybody in China and India who's a business person is a complete idiot, right? Because it means that they've driven up the price of gas and oil by ordering all these production-heavy cars and, and machines and so on, but they're not actually able to generate enough profits to cover the increased cost of gas, right? That would be pretty retarded, right? Right. So they have to be completely sure, which doesn't mean it will happen, earthquakes or whatever, asteroid could hit the earth or whatever, but they have to at least be pretty sure that they can generate enough profits that they're going to more than do better than the increased cost that they're paying for, for oil. Because, because the price for gas and oil for them has gone up too, right? Mm-hmm. So the reason that they're doing this is because they fully believe that they will be far more, they will produce far more in terms of profit than they're consuming in the price of additional gas, right? Yeah, yeah. Which means that they are fully expecting to give you better bargain for your money than you're losing. They're, they're looking to save your money, you more money than you could possibly lose through increased gas prices, right? Yeah, yeah. 
Because if it doesn't work, they're all going to go out of business, right? Mm -hmm. And that's why I'm saying you should be completely thankful that gas prices are going up so that you can get $400 notebook and $200 televisions, which will be far better for you than the price of gas going up. Now, can that apply to the market as, as it is now, or does it have to be a free market situation? Well, we can, we can for sure, we, we for sure know that there's no way the gas prices are going to double just because some cartel says so, right? Because some other I mean, cartels always break up because someone's going to underbid, right? So we right, know right. that this must be driven by demand because the, pr the price everywhere all over the world is doubling. Oh, okay, got it, got it. Right? So we know, for, I mean, it's not obviously a perfect free market situation by any stretch of the imagination. But for sure, these people are investing because they expect their productivity to increase far greater than the price of, of increased gas and oil. Well, I can't argue against that. And so we should really, I mean, and it's a, bit, it's a bizarre thing, right? But it's counterintuitive. But, you know, obviously, logically, it works out, right? That we should be, like, I want, I want the price of gasoline to hit $5. I mean, the higher it goes, the more productivity people are expecting to get out of bidding more for gas, right? Right. Which right. means the cheaper things are going to be that I buy. And so this is just, and, and the reason why, because you, you never want to, just to break the, the role play, you never want to leave people feeling stupid, right? Because this is supposed right. to be about having people enjoy using their mind more, right? Yeah, but, yeah. So what I would say is, 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 and, you know, the reason, do you know why it's so hard to think of this? Um, because the gas prices are up front in our faces. Um, I don't know, they're posted on, you know on street corners where everything else we don't have an accurate measurement in our mind of of you know what the changes in prices of you know milk and other goods right that's no that's brilliant that's brilliant and of course yeah because it's in our face that the gas prices are going up and we feel that right but if if yeah. something costs two hundred dollars rather than three hundred dollars next year we don't have any comparison right right like we don't sit there and say there's no thing there's nothing on the price sticker that says this would have been three hundred dollars, but because gas prices are so expensive, it's now two hundred dollars. Where we go, yay, a hundred bucks that makes up for some of the gas I've been paying for, right? <laughs> yeah. And this, of course, is the challenge when it comes to economics: is that economics is all about seeing the hidden costs and benefits rather than the obvious costs and benefits, right? Yeah, and that's that's really hard when it's you know. It's it's hard to see those the changes in costs over time, except except for the ones like gas that are right in front of your face. Right, because with gas we have a an empirical history to compare to. Like, well, last year it was X, and now it's X plus fifty percent, right? So we have a historical, actual scenario to compare it to, but we don't have a future theoretical scenario to compare the lowered prices against, right? They're just the right, prices right. they are. And so I just I noticed, and I, I because I've been buying computer stuff for twenty years because, well, it's my crack. But um, uh, I, I went to I went to go and buy a notebook, and it's bizarre how cheap they are. It is completely bizarre. I got a dual core, 
uh, notebook with a built-in webcam, got two gigs of memory, a 200 uh, gigabyte hard drive, operating system, uh, great sound card, great video card, uh, warranty in this for 790 bucks. I mean, it's bizarre. And that's because the price of gas has gone up so much. Yeah, I know what you mean. I mean, I'm sitting here with uh, two laptops and a desktop, and I'm relatively poor compared to the rest of the uh, nation. So it's uh, it's not it's not hard to have computers now, and you know other other goods. Right, and so some people will say, "Well, but I pay for gasoline every week, whereas I buy a computer once every couple of years, so it doesn't match up." But it's not true, right? Because your employer say buys computers all the time. And because they're yeah. paying less for computers, there's more to give you a raise or more to expand your productivity so you can get bigger raises in the future. And everyone who buys computers is going to be competing against those cost savings and pass those along to – there's no way to – even if you don't buy a computer for the next five years and even if computers was the only thing that came down in price, there's no way to avoid the price decrease except by going to live in Montana. <laughs> So anyway, was there any other questions that, that you had or, or these kinds of things? No, that was great. I, I really like that argument. And the great thing is, of course, you, you don't have to look anything up, right? Right. I mean, you don't even have – it doesn't matter whether it's India or, or and some other country. We just know that some new economy is demanding a lot of, of petroleum products, and that must be because they're expanding their economies. And, and the fact of the matter is that tens of thousands of people in India every single day are moving from the lower classes to the middle classes. It is an absolutely staggering achievement in um, uh, in uh, uh, in human uh, economic growth. I mean, China, of course, has been having six to ten percent growth for the past couple of years per year. And China, in fact, at least I've heard an argument that China has, in fact, lost more manufacturing jobs than any other country over the past ten years because they've been putting together lots of machinery and, and so on. Of course, the first thing that they do is they buy the capital machinery to produce more goods. And then once they've produced more goods, they need cars and trucks to deliver those goods. So the price of, of oil doesn't rise until the second phase, right? Every car on the road in China is, you know, one is competition. The other, of course, the other reason why gas prices are going, um, right, never mind about that. So, so I mean, it, it, we just know that somewhere there's some huge monster economy or two that has a new requirement for gasoline, which means good stuff, right? So, And, of course, the more income they have, the more they'll be able to buy our stuff, uh, which we can specialize in. And so uh, it's just a fantastic thing for the world as a whole. There is, of course, some additional pollution, but there's no pollution that's worse than poverty. So as we can see from the life expectancy of the Middle Ages, so uh, the, best, uh, the best way to get countries to become environmentally friendly is to get them over the hump of economic growth as quickly as humanly possible, no matter what it does to the environment. So, now, anyway, I just I wanted to throw that out there so you can have fun debating stuff with people uh, and and give them something counterintuitive, like to be thrilled that gas prices are going up. They're never going to get that from the media, right? Because media is all about fear mongering, right? <laughs> so, right. Uh, anyway, right. I just wanted to point that out. I was actually curious. Um, is this uh, along the lines of how your book is going to be laid out? There's some aspect of, like of this in the book, um, but this the, the, I, I would put another book together, which would be basically how to argue anarchy. I mean, okay. one, one of the things that I've had some requests for, and you guys could let me know if this would be helpful, is, you know, how does shit work in an anarchistic society, right? And, of course, it's the same as it works here. You eat Indian food and then pray. But um, 
I mean, how does stuff work in a in an anarchist society? There's some. I've been sort of reluctant to do that because I mean, I already have books and podcasts on it. Oh, sorry, I already have articles and podcasts on it, but there's lots of requests for something like that, and I might put something like that together. But um, how to argue anarchism, I think, would be a useful thing. But but this no this this the book that I've written just now is more about. You've got some friend who like you're an anarchist. What the hell does that mean? Are you some complete lunatic? <laughs> they just don't understand the word and the phrase and so on. And uh, so this is really about explaining where the anarchist uh, perspectives come from. And it's got nothing to do with proving anything about anarchism. Nothing whatsoever. In fact, I've specifically avoided trying to prove any anarchistic theories. What I'm saying is that, look, here's the contradictions in our existing society that anarchism takes as its initial approach. Here's the oh, ambivalence we have towards things, the ways of getting things done. Here's how you know, the problems with democracy, here's the problems with our use of violence, and so on. And this is where anarchism starts from. I'm not trying to prove anything. I'm just, what I'm trying to do is say, uh, there's no point taking a pill if you don't know that you're sick, right? And there's no point trying to fix society if you don't think anything's wrong with it. So here's the anarchist perspective on what is wrong with society as we see it, and, you know, you can sort of go from there if you want. And that's sort of the idea behind it. Excellent. Can't wait to read that one. All right. Okay. Well, did... Um, did anybody have, does anybody have uh, questions, or are we going to have a snappy, tidy, shorty show today? Uh, I don't know if you see what's in the chat there. Huh? Which chat? There are two. The Skype or the FDR? The Skype chat. Uh, prop window open and keep it in place. Wait, sorry, is that a, uh, is that code? Oh, but does all of this actually play out that way with the state involved? I mean, the state steps in to stop all these visible costs from occurring. Okay, like go ahead. Like price controls and price controls and all that kind of stuff. I mean, you, you, you argued this well from a free market perspective, but when, uh, when the state stepped in, uh, I can't uh, given the fact that the state is there stepping in trying to I mean you've got Barack Obama pretending to uh or making promises about doing something about gas prices and stuff like that. Well sure but but price controls as an explicit way of dealing with prices I mean they may come back in the next generation but there's no way they're coming back in this generation because everybody remembers the 1970s right everybody who's around uh, at least, or they've told their kids, even if, right? It's only like 40 years ago or, or, or less, actually. Um, they, they remember the 1970s when you had these lines for 12 blocks to pick up gasoline because, I mean, everybody knows that price can... Like, to that degree, economics has actually been quite effective. Economics as a discipline has been somewhat effective, I would say, in two or three areas. One is rent control, uh, which, which has been relinquished or relaxed in some cities. Uh, another has been minimum wage insofar as... You will hear people barking for an increase in the minimum wage, but it hasn't happened for quite some time because everybody recognizes that the minimum wage just throws the poor and the most vulnerable out of work. And they also have done a pretty good job on price controls. There really aren't a credible economist uh, around. And then they do listen to these guys to some degree, um, which, uh, who talks about um, uh, price controls with any uh, credibility. Uh, and, of course, the government doesn't benefit from price controls in gasoline, because the higher the price of gas goes, the more money they get, 
in taxes, right? So. So yeah, I mean, the, the state may step in. The state may step in, but but here's the thing, Nate. I mean, you can for sure know that people who have a lot more invested than you or I have already looked into this possibility and right. have dismissed it, right? So, for instance, if and again, this is without reference to any of these nasty facts, right? But it sort of runs something like this: If I'm, you know, uh, some guy. Uh, out in uh, um, uh, in Bangladesh, and I've put together some manufacturing factory because, and I've gone to investors saying, "Look, I need to buy all this capital equipment. I need to get all this money. I'll be able to pay you back because of X, Y, and Z." If I believe, say, that the United States government uh, and the EEC is going to slam the borders closed on my imports, or if there's any talk about this or any uh, fear of this that is substantial, I won't be able to get the money to invest, right? Because I won't be able to sell enough to, to make back the investment. Right. So people who've got their entire life savings on the line feel comfortable, or at least relatively comfortable, that they're going to be able to sell into the um, United States and Canada and, and Europe and other places, right? And I, I've got to assume that since they have their entire life savings riding on it, they've done their research, right? Hopefully. <laughs> well, no, they, they have, right? We, they have, for right. sure, right? So right. Uh, now, they could be wrong. I mean, all entrepreneurs can be wrong. But we know that they're not going to lay their entire um, uh, livelihoods and, and, and savings and future uh, on the line without some reasonable belief that they're going to be able to sell their stuff in the United States or in Europe or whatever, right? So it doesn't seem likely that the government is going to interfere that much in these things. And, of course, the government benefits from lower prices too, right? Because let's say that you don't want to buy a computer uh, that is 700 bucks. I mean, your budget is 500 bucks, and that's it, right? So um, if, if the price is 700 bucks, the government doesn't get any tax on any sale that is uh, where, where somebody would not pay 700 bucks. If the price of a computer goes down to 500 bucks, then everybody who will buy between five and 699.99 dollars, they can now tax, right? Right. So, and of course, I mean, those people would may spend their money on other things and so on, but lowering prices does tend to spur consumption rather than savings or investment, and consumption gives some, some governments some pretty significant cash up front through, through sales taxes and things like that. Yeah, that makes sense. So uh, I had another abstract question earlier that I discussed with Greg about rights, and, um, and I had a, another debate with somebody who had read UPB last night, um, all in one night. Amazingly enough, you'd read but, UPP uh, all in one night. Actually, it's a it's a she. Ah, okay. But uh, um, this came out of that. I I got kind of frustrated with the argument with the uh, not the argument the the debate, and I kind of bowed out. Um, oh, sorry. But, just before you start, I, I just wanted to mention that I uh, I wasn't actually sort of purposefully doing this, but I just uh, I guess my cookies had expired. And uh, I just logged in last night, and I, j I just wanted to, to, to really thank the people who were online 
uh, notably Black Acid Lizard and a few other people who were just wonderful with the guests. They were giving them podcasts. They were, um, uh, I think there was a lap dance going on at one point. I just wanted to, uh, to really, really thank the people. And I, I've just seen this uh, over and over again. Uh, just uh, you guys are doing a magnificent job. And I, I really thank you because, I mean, this is where, I mean, these guests are where we're going to get the money to keep expanding this conversation. I mean, it does come down to a dollar value in terms of advertising. So I just wanted to thank everybody who has just wonderfully taken to heart and, and really embraced that whole approach of, of being nicer and kinder and uh, more positive to the guests coming in. So I just, by the by, I just wanted to sort of mention that. But um, uh, sorry, go ahead. Well, um, his argument was, or her argument actually, was that 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 rights exist and that rights, they, she she wants to know how she has a right to her own body, um, which is an unusual <laughs> argument for a female to make. Um, <laughs> really? Because <laughs> women have some of the, somehow attached to their bodies. And, okay, we'll call it, men have the option of astral travel, uh, also known as sexual <laughs> fantasy, but uh, <laughs> that's a different matter, right? The threesome with the clink. Anyway, so... Right, well, it's, it's just... Us- it's. I don't know, but maybe she's conservative. I, I don't know. Maybe she's religious. Who knows? But I, I just find it more common for women to, to understand a woman's right to her own body and stuff like that. But Well, sorry. Um, I, I would just rephrase that slightly to say that um, now that there's no longer the draft, the violation of a man's right of self-ownership tends to be a little bit less explicit than that which is advocated in the U.S. in particular for women in terms of reproduction, right? So they just they have right. more threats, and so you know the guy... Uh, in the uh, in the bad neighborhood, it has quicker reflexes, right? It's just a cause and effect. But anyway, go on. Right. Um, so I it got down to um, a question of of what is a right, and it seems to it seems to me that I I I think from what my conversation, the way my conversation with Greg went, it was that I was confusing the word right with privilege, and I was thinking, well. Doesn't the word right imply that someone has granted you a right, meaning only you can only grant rights to something if you own that property, whether it's your own body or your property, like if a car dealership uh, – not a car dealership, a car, a car rental company, you would go and purchase rights to a car for a certain period of time from the owner. And um, But he said that was that was more like – he was arguing that that was privileges, not rights, and I was asking what the difference between a right and a privilege was because I I didn't really see a a difference. But um, he was we the the end of the argument was that or not argument but debate was that um, a right is like a shorthand for the logical conclusions that come from the non-aggression principle, and I I'm not. Uh, other than that, they don't really exist. Is, is that kind of – does that sound right? Maybe I'm not explaining this well enough. No, no, I understand. Look, r- rights is one of these words that I think does more harm than good in conversations. Because, I mean, if, if somebody comes up to me and says, well, how do I know if I have the right to self-ownership? Then I would just say to them, okay, prove to me that you don't have the right to self-ownership, but you can't use your body. Right, right, right. That would be impossible for them to do, right? Right. 
Like, so let's say they're in the chat window, right? And I say, well, how do I know that I have the right of self-ownership? I'd be like, okay, let's assume that you don't have the right of self-ownership, which means that you don't have the right to use your body. Now, make that case for me, but don't use your fingers or don't type or don't use your voice or don't whatever, right? Right, no, and no I made that signals, argument. No, right? I, I, I made the argument. I was like, um, so if I'm if, – if I'm talking to you and you're typing on the keyboard, who am I talking to if it's not you? Who, who's responsible for what you're saying? Well, sure, if that it, could be the case, you. but that's not, that's, those kinds of open-ended questions don't tend to lead anywhere, right? At least that's been sort of my experience. It's like, well, it's me, but that's, you know, they don't get it, right? Right. But, um, well, appara apparently she's actually in the call. Maybe, maybe we can bring her in. Oh, is she? Yeah, yeah, let's, yes. uh, let's bring it in, right? Absolutely. Does she have the mic? Oh, she doesn't have a mic. She doesn't have the mic. Okay. Uh, now, unfortunately, um, she typed that using her fingers. Therefore, she asserted self-ownership in order to make the argument, right? So just, just based on she didn't use her fingertips. Very interesting. For God's sake, don't turn off your webcam. Sorry. Um, but... Um, uh, so, so clearly we have somebody here, and this is a self-detonating argument, right? Which is that uh, if you say, I reject the right of self-ownership and you use your body in order to express that you cannot use your body, then that's a self-detonating argument, right? It's like, again, it's like the old yelling into somebody's ear that there's no such thing as sound or language, right? She says, the government has given me the right to use my own body. <laughs> well, well, but of course, the government is composed of people, and if those people have given you the right, then they must have self-ownership, right? And if they have self-ownership, then by UPB, you must either prove a complete biological difference between them and you, or accept that if they have self-ownership, then you have self-ownership as well, right? Because if they right. give you permission, they must communicate that in some manner using their bodies, right? Right, because what... What gives them the right to give you that right? I mean, who are they? Just other people. Right, right. I mean, but so uh, what I would say is that um, uh, you, you simply can't argue, uh, you can't rationally argue about um, uh, non-self-ownership non without using your body, right? And that's something I talk about in UPB. But, but the word right is, it's, it, you know, it's just one of these words that is, is the worst of all possible worlds insofar as it's been poisoned and, con and is confusing, right? See, anarchism, the word, has been poisoned, but it's not confusing. People know what it means. It's a, government without, it's a society without a government. Now, it's em been emotionally poisoned, but at least people know what the meaning is. But the word right, right has not only been emotionally and intellectually poisoned, but nobody knows what the hell it means anymore, right? I mean, there's property rights, uh, there's a right to education and health care, uh, there's the right of self-ownership, there's, the, you know, there's contractual rights, there's the right of free speech. I mean, nobody knows what the hell it means anymore, right? So I don't like to use the word rights in these kinds of debates. I don't think human beings have rights at all, and clearly they, they don't have um, rights innately. But I think that human beings have properties, and one of the properties of human beings is that they have or possess self-ownership. And that's just axiomatic because you can't argue against it without exercising self-ownership, right? What's the difference between self-ownership and use? I'm just kind of going to 
role play this since she doesn't have a mic. <laughs> Self ownership and use? What do you mean? Like if I use something but have no ownership over it, what's the difference? I mean, well, what's... but we're talking self ownership, right? Self ownership right. means that only you can work your vocal cords to produce words. I mean, it's just an empirical fact, right? I, I can stick my hand up the ass of howdy doody, but it doesn't work so well with listeners, as of course we found out in the last barbecue. But, um, <laughs> uh, oh dear, I think I may have just lowered the attendance by everyone for the next one, which is, if I remember right, June the 7th, 2008. Coming up, there will be carbs. But, um, uh, yeah, so, I mean, you simply, it's, it's, you're the only one who can use your fingers to type, right? I mean, right. So that's all cell phone. It's, it's just, you know, human beings have the property, which is that I cannot control your vocal cords, right? Which is why Celine Dion picks up a check when she sings and I don't, right? <laughs> because I don't control Celine Dion's vocal cords. She's responsible for that. So, um... Uh, they're her vocal cords, only she can make them work. So when she sings, clearly it's her cause and her responsibility. Whether for good or evil, of course, depends on your musical preferences. But listen to the song, I'm Alive, which is actually a very fun song. But uh, so, so it's just human beings have the property of self-ownership. I mean, I, don't, I wouldn't say it's a right at all, right? I mean, it's just a fact. Right, because no one else can use your vocal cords. <laughs> Right. Can I can I jump in for just a second? Uh, yes, but you can't use your body. <laughs> okay. Well, I just um, I was wondering if maybe there was uh, any validity to the distinction between the empirical fact that I own my body and the and the moral claim that, in other words, that I have. Um, uh, not just empirical ownership of my body, but that um, that I ought to have that, right? Well, no, you can't, you, no, you, can't, you can't ought to have a property, right? Like, it's like saying human beings occupy space in the universe. Therefore, human beings ought to occupy space in the universe. Right, and right. it is a Rocks there. are subjected to gravity. Uh, rocks, rocks are subject to gravity. Therefore, rocks ought to be subject to gravity. Right, there's no ought to whether there is an is, right? Right, and and that makes so where people are getting confused about uh, uh, confused over the question of rights too, because um, you could you could in one sense, and I was arguing this with Nathan earlier that um, you could argue that the that the term rights is is just sort of a, a a tag for the 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 effects of uh, valid moral rules, right? So UPB validates moral rules, and one valid moral rule is the non-aggression principle. And from the non-aggression principle, um, one effect is the ability to claim ownership over property, right? Well, yeah, but see, but this is where the problems come. I mean, I agree with you in some ways, but but the way the problem comes up, and this is the circularity that often happens in debates about rights, is you say, well, you have a right to to have property, and then someone else says, well, yeah, but so what? Someone has a gun that can just take away your property. Where's your precious right now, right? Well, sure, but what, um, it, what does it mean to say? Sorry, what does it mean to say that I have a right 
uh, which can vanish the moment somebody puts a gun to my head, right? I mean, what, what does it mean? It's, but, is it like a ghost that follows me that gets dispelled with the spectre detector of violence? Sorry, go ahead. Right, but as you say yourself, the, the validity of the moral rule doesn't go away just because people violate it. Right? right, but what that means is that there's no such thing as rights that exists or attaches to a human being, right? Exactly, that, and that's that's sort of what I was saying is that it's just a tag, it's just a, a conceptual tag, not a real thing. It's just a, a shorthand way of saying, you know, from from the non-aggression principle, um, uh, one of the effects of those things is the capacity to own property. Right? No, so, but we don't have a capacity to own property. We don't. I mean, there's no such thing as a capacity to own property that exists within us in the same way that self-ownership. So self-ownership exists within us in a physical manner, right? Because only my brain can control my vocal cords, and even then only quasi-randomly, right? But, but it's a physical, biological fact that only I have control over my vocal cords, right? Control over. So, right. now, so somebody can put a gun to my head, and they can make me sing, I don't know, I love Jesus, uh, take the wheel or whatever. But uh, they, they can't put a gun to my head and then be able to use my vocal cords, right? Well, uh, provided you don't want to die, um, they could. No, no, they still can't put a gun to my head and take control directly of my vocal cords, right? Because that's a biological not, fact. Only my brain can control my vocal cords. Not directly, but indirectly through the uh, cords. Directly, directly. They can't, I mean, we're talking about physical biological facts. There's no direct, there is indirect, right? They can't take control of my vocal cords by putting a gun to my head, right? Okay, I'll grant you that. I mean, I, I don't want to be granted it like I've extracted it unwillingly. I mean, if there's a way that you know that putting a gun to someone's head can give them can give you control over their neurobiological, neurochemical, physiological system, I've never heard of anything like that. I mean, it seems to me that it would just be a fact, but I don't want to. I don't extract anything unwillingly. No, 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 no. You're right. You're right. Absolutely. So, self ownership is based on a physiological reality, right? Which is that. Only one brain can inhabit one space and control one set of nerve endings at any given time. Correct. Whereas property can be taken from you, right? So here we have one property. I'm sorry to use the word property twice, and we'll, goods, let's say, instead of property. for. So we have a property called self-ownership, which is a biological fact which cannot be tra traversed or, or transgressed through violence, right? Wait, uh, restate that? So we have one property of a human being called self-ownership that violence cannot change. I own my vocal cords, and nobody else can use them no matter what they do, right? That's true. So here we have one property of a human being that's based on a biological fact, right? Okay. However, the right to own goods, I'm just using goods rather than property, not to confuse, the right to own goods, the, this quote right, the ownership can be transferred using a gun, right? I can take your wallet at gunpoint. Sure. 
So on the one, I mean, this is a fundamental distinction, right? In one, the property called self-ownership cannot be transferred through violence. However, the use of a good can be transferred through violence, right? Sure, it's the difference between um, 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 possession and control. Yes, sure, but, but what I'm saying is that a property right is different from self-ownership because a property right can be transferred through force, but self-ownership never can be. Right, you could never possess my vocal cords, but through the use of force you could control them. No, I could not control them. I could not directly, this is an important distinction, I could never, I could never directly control your vocal cords. Never, ever, ever, ever. Not directly, no. Right. 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 And, and I don't think that we want to use the word indirectly like it's similar. Like I can take a direct or an indirect route across town, right? There's just two alternatives, right? Right, but I don't mean it in that sense. Well, what I'm saying is then, if you don't mean it in that sense, I wouldn't use those words, because direct and indirect mean, well, it's the same kind of thing, it's just more convoluted. But it's not at all the same kind of thing. Now, if you put a gun to my head and tell me to sing Ave Maria, then you still have no direct, well, you still have no control over my vocal cords whatsoever, right? You can certainly incent me to do whatever with violence or bribery or whatever, but you still have no control. More than likely you would sing it. I'm sorry? More than likely you would sing it. Absolutely. And that still has no direct control over my vocal cords. Because in that way, if that is the case, then a boss has control over his employee. Because he's giving an incentive too. It's not a gun, it's a salary, right? Which causes him or, or gives him the choice to do something that oh. he then has to do, right? Okay, all right, yeah. That, okay, that makes more sense then. Um, negative and positive incentive, I guess, is a good way to put it. Sure. Well, sure, and then those of you know the people who who are having problems with their families and and avoid, then we're saying, well, our families have control over us. It's indirect. Well, no, they don't, right? They have influence. They they're giving us, you know, pluses, and we but we still finally have to choose between that, right? That makes yeah, that makes more sense. I'm I'm with you now. Okay, so that's why I wouldn't say direct versus indirect control because it's just not the same thing. Agreed. Agreed. And of course, we could certainly imagine. A guy, I mean, there's this phenomenon, which I've mentioned in books before, this death by cop thing, right? Where the, the guy wants to get shot, right? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So, so the, the putting the gun to somebody's head, if the, if the cop puts, you know, stands in front of the URI and says, you know, put your hands in your head, uh, I'm like, yes, sir, three, no, sir, three bags full. I'm, I'm there, right? I'm reaching, for, I'm reaching for the sky like Jimi Hendrix, right? <laughs> so, uh, ooh, that is actually a good joke. Anyway, um... But uh, a death by cop guy is going to have the exact opposite reaction and is going to you know, look forward to the hail of bullets, right? Absolutely. So even with that threat, there's still no direct control over the response, right? Or even an indirect one. Right. And even in that choice, uh, it's the, um, it's the uh, suicidal maniac that ultimately has control over the disposition of his, uh, his body. So, yes. I agree with you. Yeah, yes. and he has no control over the cops, right? Right. So, uh, right. so this, this is the problem with the word rights, that you don't want to conflate objective and biological properties of human beings, like self-ownership, with 
uh, theories of, of control and ownership and so on, which can be violated through force, which is impossible to do with physical properties. Right? I can't put a gun to someone's head and make them taller, right? Right, absolutely not. And, and, and that's, I think, ultimately where the confusion lied. Uh, the confusion was, for me at least, I, I, I don't see, I, I don't see things like rights as objective attributes of human beings. So when it gets described as, when they get equate, when it gets equated, when ideas like rights get equated with self ownership, um. I get um, confused. Yeah, and it, does, it doesn't work, of course. Right now, we can say, of course, that theories which describe or theories which propose that property rights do not exist are irrational and against the evidence, right? Because... Well, because, because ownership from self-ownership, property ownership comes from self-ownership, right? We own the effects of our actions both morally and materially. And so if somebody says there's no such thing as property rights, they're saying there's no such thing as self-ownership, and they're exercising self-ownership to say there's no such thing as self-ownership, right? Right, but in that sense, they're saying it by implication, right? Because if I say there's no such thing as property rights, then I'm saying that self-ownership couldn't possibly exist since... Property rights are an extension of self-ownership. Right. And then, yeah, of course. I mean, I'm not saying it's, it's, a, it's a, an obvious thing. And people will, of course, or may argue, I have self-ownership, but that does not implicate the use of property rights, right? Not necessarily. I mean, you could just sort of run around naked, I guess. Well, I mean, th that to me is a great situation, right? Because then I'll say, so you don't have any right to your property, and they'll say no. And I'll say, great, then send it to me. Right? I like donations, right? <laughs> right. I mean, it's like, right. you know, pay for your goddamn beliefs then if you're that much of a lunatic. But then these people suddenly discover property rights, right? The moment that somebody says, okay, if you don't own anything, if you don't have any right to what you own, then give it to me. Then suddenly they, they don't want to play anymore, right? Right. Right, or they turn it all into some sort of just subjective preference game. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so, uh, I mean, th there's more sophisticated arguments as to why self-ownership leads to property ownership and so on. But uh, I, I just prefer to go for the jugular at that point, right, and just say, you know, well, send me the contents of your bank account since you don't own them, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, saves a lot of time. Oh, and then they say, well, why should you own it? If I don't believe in ownership, then why should I give you the money? It's like, okay, well, then take it and flush it down the toilet. You know, cash it in and flush it down the toilet. And, you know, flush after flush. Of, and then, get, you know, go live in the woods, but don't take up any space and don't eat any berries. Because the moment you eat something, you're transferring it to your property, which is used by your body, right? So don't use any air. And, you know, it just, it just doesn't work. Uh, you know, there's, it's, 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 a, it's not a, a, an, an argument from absurdity. It just, it just doesn't work. Or the ultimate and self-detonating arguments, sure. Well, I mean, there's so many, but that's one of them, <laughs> right? That's right. One of them, sure. Right, denying it is essentially saying that you ought to kill yourself. Yeah, of course, and, and you know, whose who's typewriter are you, whose who's keyboard are you typing on, and all that kind of stuff, right? And, and anybody who, you know, it's, it's like the guy who was in the chat room on the weekend, you know, who, who you know, with, with admirable 
Thelma and Louise end of the movie dedication, you know, <laughs> sailed his argument right off the cliff of rationality when he was saying it's not force that governments impose on you because you can leave the country at any time. And you say, well, if you have a store owner and the mafia moves, moves and the mafia comes in and uh, demands that he pay them protection money, um, does he have to pay them because he has the option of moving to another section of town to avoid it? And he said, yes. And it's like, wow. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, thank you for saving me a lot of time. Anybody who says that you should pay protection money to the mafia is um, obviously academic in the uh, in the most nebulous, uh, nebulous and, and revolting sense of the word. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, that that was that was all I had. Okay, great. Well, thanks. It was nice to um, talk about some different stuff. Um, so uh, we have uh, time for a question or do, let us say, more. And uh, lovely and talented Christina has deigned to join us, which means that uh, she's done her chores. Not quite done her chores. Um, so, but she's here. If anybody has any questions that they wish succinct answers to. <laughs> so um, please go ahead if you have questions. All right. Well, thank you, everybody. I really do appreciate it. It's a great show. Uh, I appreciate the people who've had um, uh, some, some comments and inputs here. It was nice to talk about some economics uh, for a change and uh, have yourself an absolutely wonderful week. And uh, I will send out a broadcast email when the book is ready. And uh, I will, of course, add it to the feed and all sorts of whatnot at freedomainradio.com forward slash free dot html where you can, of course, pick up all your free books if you have not already. Well, thank you, everybody, so much, and have yourselves a wonderful, wonderful week.